Hello, everybody, and welcome. Yes, it's the Mole Mama show, and this is not Mole Mama, but I am here to court her and to introduce her and to share with you this extraordinary woman's life. And today happens to be her birthday, so we're going to talk for a minute. I, I would love for you to join us live if you'd like in the chat room. If you're listening live, it should be about uh, 6 p.m. Pacific time or 9 p.m. Eastern time. And so we'd love for you to get over to the chat room if you can. You don't have to talk. You can actually just listen and watch. But there's a lot to learn and a lot to see often when you come to the chat room. And it's really a friendly group. So if you go over to onetoradio.com, look for the chat link on the left-hand side. It'll just say chat. And you'll be catapulted very quickly into the chat room where my producer tonight, Ade Anafooshe, is going to accept your invitation uh, to this very special show. So the reason I'm hosting you today is because um, this is a celebration day. This is uh, not only Diana Mole Mama's birthday, this is also a, a huge public launch, um, one of many, of her new book um, that you absolutely need to see. I'm so excited about her book. It's been something that I have had my nose in for about two days. Um, and I'm, I, I, you could gobble it up. It's kind of extraordinary how you do that, but, um, it's, uh, the name of the book is Mole Mama, a memoir of love, cooking and loss. And it's by Diana Silva. And here's the thing, <clears throat> excuse me, the, um, she, Diana is like, I have never met her. I've talked to her periodically here and there. I've listened to her show a lot, as you all have, I'm sure, that are here. She's a pretty fascinating woman. She's devoted. She's a devoted daughter, as you're about to find out, and a very successful businesswoman. Now, she's the granddaughter of an illegal immigrant who landed in California with her six children, the youngest one being Rose, Diana's mother. It's a story that you can imagine that is about the heart, about family, about ethnicity, about food, and about love and loss. Now, um, Diana's grandmother was a very, somebody, she was, she died several months after Diana was born, so they didn't actually have a conversation, but they did have something between them that they, that they keep sacred that you will actually, we're going to talk to Diana about. And it was the Mokayete, and it's the, what we might call in the scientific world, <laughs> a mortar. Uh, that it has that you actually use to crush food. Those of you that don't know, think of mortar, mortar and pestle. Um, and it's, I think, if I read correctly, it's over 100 years old. We're going to talk to her about this um, special cooking device that she has. Uh, so I wanted just to give a little, I wanted to give you just that little introduction to prepare you for her in a different role tonight where she's not going to be in her kitchen cooking. She does host cooking shows on YouTube. They are phenomenal. I'm serious when I tell you there's not a person who tells me they love Mexican food that I don't send there that goes, oh, my God, it's the secret ingredient that I've always been looking for, how to make this stuff taste good. She really is extraordinary. She's learned something very special from her mama who you can tell beyond any shadow of doubt that she adored. And this book that she wrote was dedicated to her mother. But I'm hoping today on the show, we can find out a little about Diana as well. So if you would be so kind as to welcome the host of the show, really, usually, Diana Silva, Mole Mama. Hi, Diana. Hi, Mark. 
Thank you so much. What a beautiful introduction. I can't thank you enough for all the wonderful things that you said and, and actually reading my book. And I just want to welcome our listeners. There's so many of you in the chat room. Jamie's here, the beautiful Jamie Dawn, Renee Andrews, Mercy Brown, my beautiful Prima Carmen Lopez. I know my friend Beth Ann and Jackie are listening. So um, mm. welcome everybody. So thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> it's exciting. It's so great. Welcome you all. Thank you so much for shouting out names. And those of you that aren't in the chat room, welcome to you as well. Your book is absolutely fascinating. I'm telling you, it is a kind of page turner because it's it's almost like you you almost mislead us a little in the beginning and it's kind of cute because there's there's a build up but i'm not going to give a lot away but i am going to talk to you a little bit because i want i want to know a little more about this now there's certain moments within the book that i think i will call these poems and maybe they are poems i'm i'm hoping but they it's i'm going to read one to you guys it says 3 days to say goodbye a doctor a family member or friend utters those dreaded words there's nothing more that can be done but to make your loved one comfortable. This final prognosis may leave you numb, bewildered, distraught, sad, and helpless. It's really happening, and there's nothing left to do but be present with your loved one. I'll, I know many of us know that moment. Uh, Diana, was that what, what are those moments? Because this is written in a different type. When you get the book, you guys will see it's a different sort of style. And so, and it sounds, it, they, it has a certain look of a poem. It sounds like a poem. I just wanted to make sure. Diana, did you write that? And is that, a, is that what the intent was? Yes, I wrote all of them and I started every chapter with them. And the intent was really to give the reader some advice, like sisterly wisdom. Because when I was going through this, I was just thinking about like each step in the process that I went through with losing her that, what would I want somebody to say to me? So that's how mm -hmm. I started every chapter was to try to think about what somebody could have said to me that would have been helpful while I was experiencing that. Oh, that's, and they're beautiful. I mean, they're each so, I mean, you can see the heart and the talent in it and you do carry her memory beautifully. This is, is this truly is a, a journey. You're actually with, Diana when you're reading this book and and one of the things that I I just wanted to fill in the blanks with is because it's so dedicated to her and it's so about this phenomenal woman that there's not a lot that, to be said about your life and and that's I'm sure very intentional but I thought we could go a little bit into your childhood and and find out um, what kind of the early memories for you were I'd like to know um, a little more about the, the situation with Rose and, and your dad, your mom and dad, and then siblings, just a little bit about the, the mm -hmm. characteristic of childhood. Sure. Absolutely. So, um, I grew up on a dairy farm in the central coast of California and, um, I was the oldest, I'm the oldest daughter of my father's second family. He was a widow. He had been a widow with five children Married my mom. They had three kids together, and I am the oldest of the second family and the sixth child of my father's. So because of that interesting dynamic, there was always a lots of children in my house. So in addition to my brother and sister, it was my my older siblings' children that also were always there. So we had we we just had this like crazy. It was just always full. <laughs> there was like yes. always people there, 
And so I started cooking with my mom when I was really young. It was something that I just gravitated to and I loved being in the kitchen with her. And because there was just, there was always lots of people to feed. And so that was our thing. My mom and I cooked together and as the oldest child, that's what I did. And then my father, um, milked cows. So he, he would work, you know, 16 hours a day and just had crazy work hours and, I mean, that was my life was just being mm. a farm kid, being in 4-H for 10 years. Um, and, you know, we had I had steers and sheep that I showed at county fairs and did sewing. And <laughs> so so for, for me to be in high tech today is. Yeah, is, yeah it's it's really just. But, Mark, it's, I do, it's been an amazing yeah, go journey. Ahead. It's a journey. Right? Yeah. And, you know, and, and we were surrounded by food and and. Like we did, we either grew it or we killed it, but somehow we were, we were very, we self subsidized and we yeah. self subsidized quite a bit with other farmers. So we would trade. So we were growing broccoli. The folks across the street had lettuce and we would trade. So I just grew up eating all this amazing fresh food and mm-hmm. like. For, for my mom to actually go to the store and buy food, you know, we were like, please, could you get us some chicken? Because we didn't raise chickens. So we were eating beef and pork and shit. So, you know, it was so interesting. And I remember some of my friends had a TV dinner and I was like, oh, mom, please, could we try a TV dinner? Well, we didn't have a lot of money. And so eventually they went on dinner, you know, they were on clearance or, you know, whatever. And my mom. Yeah. So we thought we were like the most special kids on the planet because we got to try TV dinner because that was, (laughs) they were cool, right? I mean, that we had to wait for the dessert at the end and you couldn't (laughs) dive into that hot thing, whatever it was. Oh gosh, that's so fun. Yeah. So so your mother started with your grandmother. They were running a boarding house for um, migrant farm workers, right? Is that right? Yes. And they fed them three meals a day. I think that's where your mom got her cooking skill, probably a lot of it, right? From the grandmother. Yes, from my grandma, Magdalena. And um, my mom used to come home from school when she was in high school. And she would change her dress. She told me she used to have two dresses and she'd put on her work dress and um, she would make flour tortillas. So all the tortillas that they would eat, need that night and the next morning and for lunch. So she would do like three sets and she would go through 50 pounds sack of flour in two days. So that's Whoa. healthy flour tortillas my mom was making. And oh my gosh. That's like, in, that's an incredible quality. Yeah. That's like restaurant level. Yes, exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> and they were so good. She made the best tortillas, but, but that's how she was. That's how they, you know, made their money was, was, um, so a lot of the recipes that she has and she taught me are a lot of them are heavy. You know, they're not something mm. you probably want to eat every single day if you're not working on the farm. Right. Um, but that's what they were meant for, right? Is to fill your belly for long periods of time, be warm, be nurturing, and yeah. Wow, uh, you know, and it seems like I have a a similar parallel in in that my grandmother, so your your mother reminds me so much of her because she came when she was ten, and they had they hooked her up, and she became like this gourmet Lebanese chef. I mean, everybody came from all over to see her, and the same sort of. Feeling. So it was so easy to, to, to go into your world and feel the love of th- these people had for food and the importance of food and the respect of the little things that would go that 
that we just took for granted. And so much like you, even TV dinners, I think that's so precious <laughs> because I so was excited about them too. I mean, I really was, and we weren't allowed to really crack into that little apple thing, whatever it was, uh, until everything was eaten. So <laughs> the, when, you, when you were in, so you're, you're going to school like a, like what, a, a public school, normal kid, you walk to school, bus, what was that reality like? So because I lived on a dairy farm in a very yeah. small farming community, I went to a grammar school with nine grades and 60 kids. We had three teachers. <laughs> so, oh That's yeah, and, and I'm not a thousand years old. Um, no, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, but it was just this really interesting community. All of us were Catholic and um, the garage where the school bus was, that property belonged to a farmer. And so it wasn't part of the public school property. And so that's where they would teach us catechism. So on Fridays, the nuns from the local church would come in and they would teach us catechism. So some of the kids would be in the front of the bus, some would be in the back, and some would be sitting in chairs around the bus. So that our parents, who you know were all working on farms and working really hard, would not have to deal with taking us to catechism. Wow. And they, they got around it because it was, you know, it was not full property belonged to this farmer. So I had this really unusual, I think, experience as far as my education. And my eighth grade class, there was seven kids, two girls. Wow. And five. Yeah. Okay. So, so that, yeah, that is really, that's so Walton, you know, it's like the Waltons. I love that. Um, I love that show. So. Yeah. Right. Because, but it is, it's so, and there's a, there's a, there's a home there's a down-home quality to it. And I know that means that's been embedded in you. But there had to be a moment in your life when that every kid has to push away. And, and what was that for you? As a teenager, was it, was it later? Where you have to go away or something to, to develop um, you? Did that happen? Oh, absolutely. And so it was really interesting about me is that I knew from a really young age that I wasn't staying in the farm that I wasn't staying in Santa Maria. I remember my my big chore after school for the longest time was I'd come home and I had to move sprinkler pipes in the alfalfa field behind our house. So sprinkler pipes are, you know, if you've never been on a farm, they're probably like each piece is, I don't know, like maybe 40 or 30 feet long. And it's oh this tube gosh. and you have to put on your rubber boots and it's cold and it's muddy and you got to balance them and hook them up. It's a pain in the neck. But I remember, <laughs> I remember being like seriously nine years old out in this alfalfa field. The wind was blowing. It was cold and just going, I don't know how I got here, but I'm getting out. This is not for me. I need Excellent. to live in the city. And I, I had never even been to the city at that point. I was like, wow. I will be in a city someday. Uh-uh. And so, you know, so even though I had this amazing life, I was always on this path. And I was like, I'm doing it with education. I'm out of here. And it wasn't. Wow. I, I was, it was very, very clear to me that I would be out. So. And was it easy to do? I mean, what, what was the transition like? Was it a, a, um, did you have to push against them going, why are you doing this? Or. Did you kind of like do it in a way that was okay for them? It was always okay for my mom. My mom was just like my biggest champion on the planet. She was just, you can do anything, Miha. You can go anywhere. So when, you know, I wanted to go to college, I was the first person in my my family to do that. And um, my mom, of course, totally supported me. My father was not happy about it. 
He actually did not speak to me for six months when I went away to college. You're kidding. Uh, no, because nice girls, my father is Portuguese, and nice girls don't move away from home until they're married. So, but, you know, I was really blessed because even though my father had some, you know, ideas about women and what women should do, my mom stuck up for me and my mm. mom just supported me. And so she made that transition easy. But from the moment I left to go away to college and then to work and so forth, I was always torn. Um, I was always torn to be away from her, but I also... Because of the kind of work I do, there is that, that line of work doesn't exist in my hometown. So, but. Is it, is it safe to assume that your relationship to your dad was, um, neutral or, I mean, was it, or was it, I'm, I'm thinking not deeply affectionate, but was it, or what was the, what's the, the dynamic there for you? It was neutral. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, he had, um, he was much older than my mother. He was 13 years older mm -hmm. and had had some big heartache in his family. So I think to have a daughter that was really independent, <laughs> really opinionated from the moment yes. I could open my mouth, um, <laughs> you know, was, I was, I wasn't traditional. So, right. That was a know, little tough for him. I think what you're really, saying. Right. Yeah. I think it was really tough for him. But yeah. he wasn't like, he didn't try to, um, he didn't try to demand obedience, like, no, you're not going. I mean, he sounds like he let you argue your way through it or your mom at least protected you. Is that kind of the dynamic? Was, was my he, mom protected he... me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh okay. yeah. My mom came to my, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. No, I, like I said, it was amazing. And I just remember she totally protected me as far as, you know, anything I ever wanted to do. And even later on in my career, you know, I, I kept taking different jobs. I'd be offered different things to do. And I'd be like, mom, I, I don't know if I could do this. Yes, you can. Don't even, you know, don't even say that you can't. Of course wow. you can. Of course you can. Mm. So, oh, that's yeah. so great. Can I ask what astrological sign she was? Um, her birthday's in um, October 26th. Scorpio. And you're a Taurus. Isn't that perfect? Yes. Well, yes, it's perfect. Um, it's so... There, there's a dynamic there between Taurus and Scorpio that both are no one messes with and they're fixed signs. One's earth and one's water, but they're very much, um, there's a, there's a simpatico between them. And it, and it sounds like you had that with her, which is really sweet. And I, I think I've told many people who have heard me talk about astrology that if, you, if there's a restaurant here in Denver that will not hire you if you don't have strong Taurus in your chart to cook. <laughs> She's just like, that's it. And it's really gourmet. So it's like, and look at the word restaurant, restaurant. It's like, it, it, Taurus is all about the food thing. And I love that. So it, was there, a, was there a telling moment in your life like this while before you left home? Was there a, was, was, is there a, was there a revelation for you in any way, for any reason about your life in general, other than I need to get out of here? I mean, did you know, like purpose, did you get any sort of early visions of, of that you'd be doing something like this? Um, and I'm only asking because it seems like that kind of life le lends itself to a lot of time to be with yourself, which it makes me also ask, was there TV involved here? <laughs> <So> <laughs> Answer the TV question yeah. first, okay. and then I'll go to the other question because yes okay. to both. Um, okay. But but we 
so where we were living, we actually had a party line phone. So that's how remote. <sighs> that's amazing. So I do love you remember it. that? Yeah. I so, do. <laughs> so for anybody listening, a party line phone means that you're basically sharing with your neighbors and you pick it up and you have to take turns and, you know, everybody listens to everybody's phone call. It, it, it was high drama. <laughs> so especially when you're, you know, in high school and you're dating and, you know, your neighbor is telling your mom. Anyway, so it was high drama, but I'm so glad party lines are a thing of the past. That's right. um, but, um, so, uh, apps and TV, we, and because of where we were, we didn't have cable. I actually didn't have cable until I was 30. And, right. um, we were really limited on how much we could watch. And my mom was really anti TV. Uh, we could watch like an hour at night. And then we didn't have, you know, there was no th- such thing as a remote control. And I remember being my dad's remote control. <laughs> like walking to, to the, <laughs> go change <and> so, the channel. <laughs> go change the channel and stay there. We had three whole channels. So I was like, okay, yeah. dad, watch. But, and what was it like Lawrence Welk or Ed Selmer, that kind of oh, stuff or yeah. what? Well, it was yeah. Lawrence Welk because he loved that and he loved hee haw. Oh my God. Yes, like, they did. I, I know my I'm group sorry did too. For, I'm sorry for any of our listeners, but I am so not the country western girl because it's law. Like my dad just, it's like, no, I can't do it. Oh my God. That is so funny. Yes. That reality is so, and yeah, that's so good. Okay. Cause that reminds me too. I was thinking of the, the socket to me show, whatever. Um, yeah, you know, the, um, Goldie Hawn got famous on it, but that was sort of probably laugh in. That was probably later. So, um, you, so, so you, minimal- yeah, go ahead. You were going to, you minimal. asked me about my purpose, That's minimal right. TV and about my purpose. So minimal, minimal That's TV, right. but Brady Bunch was on. I loved that. <laughs> so That would make sense. You relate to it a little bit. Yeah. Because definitely. they were two estranged families already put together, right? Exactly. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So I did have a moment um, when I was 18, my senior year of high school, uh, in, in my hometown of Santa Maria, they do this every year. There's this beauty contest for the Queen of Santa Maria in the Latin community. And my parents decided that I had to participate in it. And I've already told you that I was pretty independent, <laughs> had <Yeah>. opinions, <laughs> didn't really believe in beauty contests <laughs> even back then. And yeah. uh, my parents were like, no, you're going to do this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And I really wanted to go to a Carlos Santana concert. Hmm. I had never been to a concert. And so I was like, okay, look. Here's the deal. If you let me go to the concert, I'll participate in the contest. So nice. that's how I, so I did. And I, I, I grew up sewing my own clothes. So I went to the fabric store and I bought a remnant of silk for $6. Cause so I'm like, I have to pay for this myself and I'm working and I'm going to, you know, on the cheap. So I bought, I made this little dress and my friend Maria helped me. And, um, during the beauty contest, they, the judges had us in a room and there was 12 different judges and they asked us a question. And the question was, if you could do anything in your lifetime, if you had the power, the money, the strength, et cetera, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And I, and I, without even thinking, like I didn't even know this was in my heart. I said, I would eliminate all racism, sexism, and ageism. And then I went wow. into why, and then I did it all in Spanish because our judges were all. So. Oh, wow. So you did it all in Spanish because your judges spoke, spoke Spanish? Spanish? Is that what you? Yes, I did wow. it in English and Spanish, and, and I won. You did? 
I did. I did. I love it. <laughs> did you? They have a bathing suit thing and all that? Oh no, no, no! This is just the gowns, but I, I did have okay. a ginormous tiara and the cape and the whole <laughs> thing. Like, we're not going to get a picture, are we? <laughs> we got love it if you have one. <laughs> but, I do have a picture someplace. Oh my God, that's so awesome. Okay, someday we'll get that out of you. We just got a one-minute warning, so we're going to take a quick break here, you guys. It's I, This is Mark Husson filling in uh, as a guest host on the Diana Silva show, Mole Mama. And uh, today is her birthday. We're talking about her life because she wrote a book, and we're going to come back talk about that book here right after the break stay with us okay we'll be right back hi everybody welcome back if you were expecting diana silva's voice you were almost you must have been late to the show this is mark hudson and i'm having a delightful time interviewing molly mama because today is her birthday and it's a big public launch of her new book. And I'm so excited about her book. And before I even uh, go into the name of it, I, I have to scroll back my uh, my screen, right? So I can get, and I don't want to mispronounce it or miss, miss say the book. So let me, in fact, here's what I'll do. Let's bring her back on. Diane, are you with us? I'm here. Hi, everybody. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Hi, everybody, too. Thanks. Uh, so um, will you say the name of your book? Because I mean, it's nice that you get to talk about it and give us the title. And then we're going to talk a little more about this stuff. Sure. The name of my book is Mole Mama, A Memoir of Love, Cooking and Loss. Uh, oh, my gosh. And so if you all didn't garner what it's about, it's about her. Um, did, well, I want to say just extraordinary relationship to her mother. She it's a it's like her best friend. Um, she talks about this journey that she went with her mother as she knew that her mother was um, going to check out, but we just don't know when. And she takes us with her on the journey. It's a book that you will not be able to have a dry eye with. And if you have anybody that you've lost in your life, you will feel the sense of this familiarity and what Diana went through. And it, for no other reason than to connect back to your heart and back to the remembrance of the importance of family and the importance of people that you love and to cherish them when they're here. This book had rings so true of that and did for me very deep. And we had, we had, we're talking a little bit about her childhood because she doesn't talk a lot about that in the book because she's dedicating this to the experience with her mother and the, and the mother's last few days. Um, so it, just to reiterate, uh, grew uh, on a, we say a farm, right? A dairy farm. And because it was a farm, it means that there's not a lot of next door neighbors, right? Your, your friends were your siblings, correct? Yes. They're, yeah. They, our closest neighbor was about a half a mile away. Across okay. the street. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. That's yeah. amazing. Okay. And yeah. so you did the beauty contest and, and you got to go <laughs> to the Santana thing and you, this came out of your mouth, this whole idea of uh, in healing racism and uh, sexism and uh, ageism. And so uh, you won. And that we are, we're going to, we're going to tease her over the future. You guys ask for that pageant picture. We got to see it. And then, um, so then, okay. So what was the, talk about a little bit about that revelation. So you got to go to, you got to go see Carlos Santana, right? That, right. Did you get to see him? Okay. I did. And, yes. And so what changed in your life at that moment or around that time? 
You know, I, I just think it's the way that, um, there's some stuff in, about this in the book too, but my mom was so about, she had suffered some, quite a lot of racism actually, um, but never told us about it until she, we were adults. And she was really about the hate ending with her. And yeah. so I think a lot of that really influenced like how I've interacted with people my whole life, but I wasn't really actively doing anything about it. So, you know, I would, um, I've been a manager for a long, long time and I've been, you know, I, I, you know, I always have rainbow teams and people are like, you have a rainbow team. I'm like, yep, I love having a rainbow team. Oh. Um, so, you know, I think, but I've never actively done anything and it wasn't until I really started thinking about and just doing Molly Mama that it was like, you know what, this feels right. Cause that now I finally have a platform to do that. And wow. the, the, the broader, the broader mission of Molly Mama is really to unite people of all cultures and ages through food and through the love of food. And I, I have been blessed in that I've traveled, you know, all over the world with my job and I've met people from all over the place. And I'm always amazed by how much people have in common, not how different we are, but how much we're the same. So mm. I think if you can just, if you can just find a common place to just, and for me, the commonplace is the dining room table or how we eat food or consume food. We all need food to sustain us. So that's the that's the big dream. That's the big vision. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. And, you know, it's so funny as you're talking, I'm thinking about the people who don't experience it. And, and again, it's my thing, too. I think one of the biggest problems in our world is the inability to empathize. We have, we're losing the ability to walk in somebody else's shoes. And I think it doesn't, it's, it's not like, I think it goes in waves and I'm not like a defeatist. I don't think it's going to just going to get worse. But I think if we stop for a minute and remember that the, one of the reasons that you can, you want to, you're, that you're a good manager is because you remember and know what it's like to have somebody you love and yourself uh, experience prejudice because of where you grew up or, or the language that you speak or the, the food you love or the religion that you're, that you cherish. So it's, it's wonderful. And I think that it adds to this, um, you're, you're one of those points of light that adds to the sum of light. That's, I love that. It was a phrase in the year of living dangerously, uh, cause when Mel Gibson looks at little Linda, whatever, and says, what can we do? And she's like, we add our light to the sum of light. And I think that's what your book is. And, and the book is not only a testament to the love of family and your mom, it's about the love of food and it's about the love of our passion and honoring them. And it seems like you have been following your passion. Um, and, and have been allowed to follow your passion thanks to her encouragement. Now, I want to get us into college and see just was there college in, in your yes. life? Okay. Yes, there's college. I went to, I, I went to Humboldt State. I went to hippie school. <laughs> I was a bit nice. of like a hippie and a rebel, a rebel. And I studied marketing and, you know, I, I stumbled into this amazing career in technology. It, it was a stumble. And, wow. um, I've been just so incredibly, Lucky. I literally was um, a project manager for a software company and somebody came into the room and said, or one of the managers and said, does anybody here speak Spanish? And I was like, I do not so great, but yes, I do. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. And, um, our company had done this really big deal with this company in Buenos Aires. And this was at the very beginning of my career. And, and they're like, okay, come with us. And so I worked on this project um, for 18 months and it went really, really well. And at, when it was all done, my boss said, 
okay, Diana, that went great. What do you want to do next? And I said, well, you know, in the back of the building, there's like these four people working on this thing called the internet. Can I go work with them? She's like, sure. And so, (laughs) yeah, seriously, that's, that's the conversation. That's amazing. And these four people actually were working on, um, they were the group that was starting to figure out how to put E-Trade online and their wow. online. And that was my first project online with the internet. Wow. So, yeah, it was Did you were, Was your Spanish useful then or was it just uh, now we, we didn't need that? You were just going to learn and help them based on your knowledge? No, my Spanish has always come back to me because no matter what job I've gotten up until recently, I've always traveled internationally. So um, because wow. I had that that experience very early on in Argentina, um, my, my employers have always gone, Oh, you've done the international thing. And so I, I have probably made about 50 trips to London, to Paris. Mm. Um, I've been in Asia. I have just been so incredibly lucky and had amazing food all over the world. So I've been really lucky, but you know, it's just, it's been, um, it's just been so fantastic. Wow. You know, that yeah. is a really great story. I mean, you have definitely went from the dairy farm. I mean, you just think yeah. about that. This person went from the dairy farm to this life, this life of travel, this life of, of uh, technology. So in your travels, is there a, what's your, what would be your second most amazing food that blows you away? What culture of food? Oh gosh. I'm assuming because really assuming pick. Mexican is number one, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, let's say if there, you had a chance to, to be a gourmet chef in the, in one other, uh, ethnic food, what would you pick? Oh, I don't know. So I don't know if I want to be a gourmet chef in this, but what I really enjoy, um, well, I, I love, so I'm really torn between Italian and Chinese, but, oh, okay. um, I was in China about, eight years ago in Beijing and I was there for Mm -hmm. Chinese New Year and oh my gosh I just remember it being one of the most amazing meals of my life really Mm. I they had like a lazy Susan um that and about 20 people sitting around it so just this ginormous lazy Susan and all these dishes and just flying by me and I was just trying everything and everything oh my gosh and it was just amazing that is high praise, really. I mean, I love, I agree with you on those. I think, you know, I agree with you on those. The only thing about the Chinese food, which I do love, when I hear people going to Beijing and eating, they talk about some of the weird foods that scare the crap out of me, right? I mean, like swallowing a big octopus or whatever. I don't know. So I worry about <laughs> weird food. <laughs> no, and I, and I, in all fairness to that statement, yeah. because I don't speak Chinese and, um, we were going into different restaurants and the, the all, I, I did leave a restaurant because they did have a bear. Like they had a picture of a bear and then they had a plate next to the bear all chopped up. And I'm like, uh, no, I can't do this. This is where I call, this is where I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> oh my God. That's great. So yeah. Okay. Well, that's amazing. So you actually had some meals that blew you away. That's actually what I should have asked you. Um, like some of your most incredible meals in China, you've had an incredible uh, meal in China and it's apparently Italian too, because typical Italian isn't just pasta and ragu, uh. right? No, no. <laughs> yeah. And I was, um, I was in Tuscany once and, um, we went to this farmhouse and we had, we had these pan fried T-bone steaks. 
that were seasoned in olive oil and then these fresh vegetables and, and bread. And it all sounds really simple, but it was like to die for. And there was a, there was a man there that was singing opera to us while we were eating our T-bones fried sticks. So anyway, I, I do have a thing for the meat because I grew up on a farm and I still eat beef and it's one of my favorite things. So I don't Mm. eat it very often, but I do love it. So yeah. And I've had amazing like food in Portugal, but you know, a lot, a lot of the food too is just in my own family where it's just like my mom's tamales. Oh, amazing. Universally amazing. Right. I yes. mean, like, the, yes. yeah. like, yeah, the world yeah. would agree. I mean, I get yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what about your favorite Mexican dessert? Hmm. You know, I'm not a big, um, dessert person, right? I don't but, think many, but, I, but, 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 yeah. but my prima Eva, who's often on my show, she yeah. is a pastry chef and she makes the best <gasps> Mexican wedding cookies on the planet. <laughs> so those, mm, that's oh, one of my favorites. Mm. Oh, they're so good. They're so yeah. good. Oh my God. See, I think I'm just getting hungry. This is great. This is horrible. Your show's at a terrible time. <laughs> <laughs> always leave hungry. Okay. Let's dive into the purpose of this book. Now, what motivated it? Where were you when you had the idea to write it? Or did you always know you were going to write it? Uh, because that's a heck of a journey to go through. And I would like to talk a little bit about the journey. Um, it's extraordinary because you absolutely were dedicating your life to her uh, passing. And uh, it it almost cost you some your job. I mean, it, you really had to yeah. worry about that. And um, it seems like you and your sister, right? Isabel, was that her name? Or am yes. I getting that right? Yeah. Yes. She, that you sort of shared in that. Um, can you just sort of, without giving away too much of the book, because the book does take us on this incredible journey, and it's, you make it very evident that you know she she passes. But in in the process of it, um, uh, there okay when at the other end of it, you decided at some point I got to write this down. Can we talk a little bit about the purpose of writing the book, why you did it, and and you know what was in your head at the time. Yeah, so um, I actually wasn't taking notes while she was passing and didn't know I, was, I would be someday writing this book. Mm, how I, I how I have all the information that I did, believe it or not, is from texts to Sean, my, my man, and friends, and Facebook messaging posts, and that's how I remember dates. Literally, it's from, from different... Wow. That's how I went through. I mean, I knew what had happened, but that's how I was able to get the dates that I have. Um, so, which is pretty amazing, but I had been, I've always had a dream that I wanted to be an author for the longest time, like since I can remember, like, I don't, I don't have a memory where I was like, oh, I, I don't, I, I want to be a writer someday. Right. Um, you did, you never desired it. Right. So uh, no, I always did. I always, you always did desired. You just always never thought desired. you would. I just never thought I would. And, um, I had been working on a children's novel for almost 10 years and I have 150 pages done of it, and it's it's this whole other thing. But we were literally having dinner with some friends um, shortly after my mother died, and one of my girlfriends said to me when she I was talking to her a little bit about what had happened. She didn't know a lot of the, the details because um, she wasn't, you know, like in the inner circle, and it's not something that you, you can easily talk about, right? As far as what you're really going through. Yeah. Right. And, and, um, and she looked at me and she goes, Diana, that's a book. She goes, it's a book and you need to share this story because there's so many people that go through this and mm. you'll just help so many people by writing the story. 
she was and right. I just, and I just paused and I went, oh my gosh, you're right. You're right. And they always, and you know, you always hear about, you need to write about what you know. And I know this. And like when I sat, when I would sit down and write every morning, I literally felt like my mom was next to me and mm. I just flowed. It was so easy to just get it all out. It was just, I mean, not, and it was also very healing and I cried a whole bunch when I wrote it, but I felt hmm. her presence. And when I was done, Mark, I was kind of sad because I was like, oh, because like, oh, I just felt like, yeah. <laughs> connection you know it's like okay mom do, okay what did we do and how did that go you know so yeah yeah oh gosh you can just feel it when you're writing when you're reading it the um in that process of going of this it was long, way longer than you all anticipated i think or maybe not way longer but i the doctors didn't really give her you know much time but she was just defying all the rules was there can can we just like Without it being a corny question, what what was one of the most extraordinary in that year period? What what was one of the most extraordinary things for you? Like, did you have insights? I, I keep thinking about you doing it, going, I wish I would have asked her about this secret recipe because she would always you you talked about how she sneaks seasonings in when you leave the <laughs> restaurant. She did, <laughs> right? <laughs> did she ever fess up what it was or did you ever, cause she, she never measured anything. It sounds like she no, just did she it. She never measured. No. So did you like in this process, you, you obviously are the one who inherited the, the wisdom of the, of her wisdom cause you went after it, but was there something extraordinary in this, uh, in the journey that you, that was the most poignant time that you had or, um, or maybe even the worst. I don't want to be too corny in the question, but something in that period where you're like, oh my gosh, because um, it's hard. The the whole end is going to be hard, but in the middle of it, do you remember having some kind of another insight like you did with, with the beauty pageant day? Was there something about your life that you thought about in that time? And Well, I not, think, yeah, I mean, yeah. a lot of it was, you know, how am I going to survive without her? That was a yeah. huge part. That was a huge thing for me. It was just this woman had been a part of my daily life. You know, I mean, we had I spoke to her every day yes. on the phone for, for your whole life, right? My whole life. When I was in China, I called her like it was an it was a daily and it wasn't out of obligation. Mm. It was just I adored her. And yeah, it was yeah, so yeah. fun to talk to her. So I think that was the, the big thing. But it was also. To witness her being so incredibly ill and still worry about me mm -hmm. and just the unselfishness of her. That's intense. Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just, yeah. yeah. Smile. Yeah. In front and of I, her, right? And perk yeah. up and be happy. Yes. That's okay. Well, now you have a little thing here. I'm going to read it out loud. Chapter two is called the will of love. And I'm just going to real quick her poem, and then we're going to talk about where you all can get this book. Because I can't believe our hour's up. We, we should we can never do coffee because a I would be totally there'd be too many cups I'd have to have because we'd be there for so long, and the food that I would have to order talking to you. Okay, so this is called the Will of Love. It says <clears throat> a medical or grief expert gives you a time frame of how long your loved one has left, and sadly the death watch begins. It's hard for you to accept that you have only precious days left to spend with your loved one, and it's even harder to think about anything else. You soon realize that death has its own schedule, and truly no one knows for sure when it will arrive. 
There's never been a better time to accept this final journey and cherish these last days. Wow, intense. And you just took us right there. And so any of you that have ever lost somebody or had this kind of close relationship, and in a way, do you feel it was a blessing to have the time you did? I'm sure the answer is yes, but you think about it. Some people would say like, it would have been easier if they just, I woke up one day and they were gone. That's not true, right? For you? No, it was definitely a blessing. It was so, I mean, it was so for her to see her suffer the way she did. So, so hard for her, but such a blessing for me to have Mm -hmm. that time, to really have that time to say goodbye to her. Yeah. So nice. Like Taurus love. There's nothing like it. So you've got this incredible book. You you guys, she's got this book and I would love for you to take a look at it. it. Now we got some great news on the statistics of it. It's hitting the ground running, isn't it? What have we heard about it? Is it is, are the sales good? Is, the, is the, Are they talking about it in the world? Yes. Um, so this morning, I as part of my launch, I launched a press release um, yeah. and it right now um, has been picked up by over 300 media outlets. So, you know, like <laughs> different. <laughs> so it's all over the Internet and um, it's actually trending as a top story on Google right now. So if you search for my book by its name, I think before the show, you get like 450,000 search results. So, um, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, and Barnes and Noble is actually paying for, for um, paid uh, advertising of it right now on the internet. So if you search for it, you'll see a little thing of right so. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's, so it's, okay, going. So it's so. Mole Mama, a memoir of love, cooking and loss, you guys by Diana Silva. Now, um, the oh guy that made me think of something, uh, are you doing, uh, like, Oh, the cover the, we t- wanted to talk about the, the cover design is very cool. It looks like, is it your handwriting? What's going on there? That and the, so, and the mocha yete. So that's my grandma's mocha yete that she carried with her that, for Mexico when she immigrated illegally. I took that photograph. One. Yeah, oh that is God. the one. I have it on my counter. I use it all the time. Um, my mother gave it to me, and then my des- my cover was designed by Kelly McLean from Connecting the Dots. Oh, our, our Kelly, our Kelly, awesome. our Kelly, and, <laughs> and, and and one of my other dear friends who's a designer, Lo Dellinger, that's in LA. So they worked oh, on it together, nice. and it's it's Lo's handwriting because wow. mine is terrible. So that is her handwriting. She actually wrote it out and then scanned it in. But yeah. I love that sort of personal touch to it. It's very loving. It's very sweet. Uh, it's available now anywhere at the normal outlets. I was able to get it on Kindle, you guys, and it's also at Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. You got to get the hard copy. There's recipes in the back of it, right? There is. There's recipes there and as well as my YouTube channel, but there's 11 recipes at the back of the book. And I wrote a little bit about each one before before I gave, give you the recipe. So it's there. I'm all, I'm also Mark, if I can add, I am doing a giveaway, um, at Goodreads. So if you go over to Goodreads, I'm giving away 50 books between today and May 19th. So you can go over there for a chance to win. Um, and so, yeah. So if you wanted to try that out as well, so. That's Goodreads. They just go goodreads.com, right? Yes. Goodreads. Yes. And I think Ade is going to post the link in the chat room for folks. And then you every uh, Thursday night, 6 p.m. Pacific time is your show here at 12 Radio, which you have turned on its head because of when you came on board. I was going to talk about that. We'll do it next time. And then um, because of your the bringing a food show to this sort of different version of spirituality, it's been amazing to have you. And um, you also 
let's see what, okay. So your show, your YouTube channel, that's right. Audie's going to put those up there. That's perfect. Um, so any parting words for us? I just want to thank you so much for putting these thoughts into words. Are we going to see the children's book soon? Maybe. Yes. I'm going to start working on that later this summer again. Yeah. Definitely. It looks like your new career has been carved out for you, and we're going to just, you know, I'm, I can't even wait for a full-on cookbook, too. Um, so I do so appreciate you spending time with us. It's your birthday. I, I just wish you a happy birthday. It actually feels like a present to me. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to be on your show to play with you and talk with you and get to know you even more. You're an amazing woman. Thanks for sharing your journey with all of us. Thank you so much, Mark, and thank you, Ade, and all of our listeners. Thank you so much for being here. It's such a special day for me, and I can't thank you enough for, for doing this for me, Mark. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much. I'll be on with you tomorrow morning uh, uh, at 8 a.m. Pacific for a special show on the nodes with some guests. We'll see you then. Thank you. Mark Huston saying goodbye. Diana Silva, happy birthday. And congratulations on a memoir of love, cooking, and loss. Mole Mom. Talk to you soon.